Uh, and friends, if you've been with us for the past few months, you would know that uh, we are continuing our sermon series, the book of Ephesians, and we're currently at the end of Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, that's the text that we're in, which, if you took the time to skip ahead and read the passage that we'll be discussing today, specifically verse 22, where it says, wives, submit to your own husbands, then you'll know that this is it for me. This is where I die for the gospel. (laughs) So before I begin to preach, okay, on this very sensitive and rather touchy subject, just know, especially for some of you who are new to Covenant City Church, we preach through whole books in the Bible. We start at the first verse in the first chapter. We go to the last verse in the last chapter. And whatever topic comes up next in the book, we preach on that topic. And it just so happens that this Sunday, we're in the section of Ephesians where Paul, the author of this book of the Bible, is beginning his teaching on the topic of the Christian household, okay? And he actually touches on three pairs of relationships in the Christian household that we'll eventually see as we go through the book of Ephesians. The first relationship is the one that we're going to be studying in our passage today between the the wife and the husband. The second relationship we're going to be talking about in a few weeks is the relationship between the child and the parent. And the last relationship Paul discusses is the relationship between servants and masters, okay? So we're going to touch on all that, but he starts off this conversation about the Christian household by addressing the first, and therefore, I want to propose the most important relationship within the family unit, which is the relationship between the husband and the wife. If this goes wrong, Paul's saying here, then the whole family suffers, There's a particular weight to this one. And look, you might be here today, Christian or not, married or not. It doesn't matter. We all feel the weightiness that surrounds this topic, don't we? Why? Because likelihood is we have all, in one way or another, experienced the pains of a broken marriage whether it's complications in our own marriage or if it's the complication of your previous marriage, I don't know your story, or maybe it's complications in your parents' marriage, complications in your friend's marriage. In one way or another, likelihood is every single one of us here has been affected by the power struggle that exists between a husband and a wife. The lack of trust, the surges of rage, the painful silences, the existential confusion that comes from both needing someone so badly but also despising them so much all at the same time. If you want to make this thing called marriage flourish, Paul's saying here, not just survive, okay, not just function, but thrive and flourish. The only way for that to happen, Paul's proposing here, is by viewing it through gospel lenses. What do I mean? I mean the good news of the gospel, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That has to be the main lens upon which we view our marriages through. Then and only then, Paul's saying, will it begin to function properly. Then and only then will you expose its beauty. And then and only then will it finally be a place of rest instead of war. 
right? But how does the gospel do that? Well, let's get into it. But before we do, I have to say that I really tried my best to fit everything Paul has to say here to both husband and wives in one sermon. I, I did, but I just, I couldn't, okay? There's too much content for each one. So today, I only have the time to address the wives' role first, all right? Why the wives first? Because that's what Paul, that's who Paul addresses verse in verses 21 to 24. And also, because danger is my middle name. <laughs> and next week we'll talk about the husbands, okay? So come back for that. All right, let me, let me read the command for the pair, for both the wives and the husband, okay? But I do only have time to preach on the wife's role today, which is verses 21 and 24, and then the husband's role, verse 25 to 30 next week. Okay. This is the word of God regarding the dynamics of a gospel-shaped marriage. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus says the Lord. All right, three things I want to point out about a gospel-shaped marriage from this passage, focusing mainly today on the wife's role. First, Paul says, everyone submit to each other for the Lord. That's verse 21. Second, Paul says, wives, however, particularly submit to your own husbands. That's verse 22 to 23. And lastly, he closes and says, just as the church submits to Christ. That's verse 24. Okay? Everyone submit to each other, but wives particularly submit to your own husbands as the church submits to Christ. Let's start with the first point. Everyone submit to each other for the Lord. Okay, so let's start with this. For us, modern readers of this passage, of this text, this may not be immediately obvious to us, but for the original readers at the time that Paul was writing to, this point would have been loud and clear. What point? The blaring difference between the Christian household code that Paul teaches here and other household codes of the day. Okay, there are tons of different household codes uh, that existed in Paul's day that were mainly adapted from the writings of Plato and Aristotle. Okay, there's tons of them. But every single one of them would only address the husband for the purpose of giving him practical advice about how to manage other subordinate members of the family. And I quoted that from a commentary. 
okay? He's kind of this CEO. They would never address the wife or the kids or the servants, much less, because in their heads, they were just staff, you see? They wanted to talk to the CEO, the husband, the father, the master. But Paul here starts off the Christian household code not by treating the husband as the CEO that everyone else needs to serve. Look at verse 21. How did he start this? What did he say? He said, submit to one another. What? Yeah. Everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the readers back then would have read this and said, wait, Paul, you mean um, wives, children, and servants submit to the husband, father, master, right? That's what you meant. And Paul's saying, no, I meant what I said. Everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Back then, and even in some cultures today, there is no category for this. And then Paul's on, Paul goes on to do what we just read. He gave three verses telling the wife to submit to the husband, and then nine verses telling the husband to be willing to die for the wife. There's no category for this. The Christian household code puts more burden on the husband, both in the amount of commands and in the extent of sacrifice compared to the wife. Paul does not treat the husband as the one to be served. He treats the husband as the one to do the most service for those in his family. That was unheard of, first. But second, unlike other household codes at the time, Paul also gives this unique motivational direction as to why we are all called to submit to one another, everyone. Why should we do that? Paul says in verse 21, why? out of reverence for Christ. And look, friends, this is foundational in understanding the Christian household code. How so? Because here's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, husbands, listen, if your wives is gonna submit to you, and wives, listen, if your husband is gonna sacrifice for you, they must do it, why? What's the motivation? out of reverence for Christ and not because you forced them to do it or because you guilted them into doing it. In other words, husbands, listen, your wife's submission to you is none of your business. If she is to do it, which she should, she is to do it willingly out of her own reverence to Christ, not because she feels coerced by you. And similarly, wives, if your husband's sacrifice for you, that's also none of your business. You don't need to worry about that. If he is to do it, which he should, he is to do it out of his own reverence for Christ and not because you guilted him into doing it. This is unique. Unlike other household codes in the day, the Christian household code doesn't take power away from the wife and give it to the husband. You know what it does? <clears throat> it takes power away from everyone and gives it to Christ, who seems to be the only one 
Who knows how to handle power well between all of us? Look, if, you, if you're married or been married or dated somebody for a long time, do you not find this to be the main problem that we experience? Let me just talk to the married couples here. In marriage, this endless power play between the husband and the wife, we keep tally over our rights and their wrongs. Why? Power play. Tati, my wife, uh, a few months ago took a trip uh, out of the country for like a week to be with her friend. And I watched the kids for that whole week. And then I flew up uh, to catch up with her with two kids, mind you, alone in a 17-hour flight. And I think ever since we've been back, I've reminded her of that benevolent act of mine around 10 times already, you know, <laughs> just in the past month. I just kind of slip it in there, you know, every now and then. And she's gracious enough to not have said anything about it. But why do I do that? Hmm? What do you think my goal is? Why is it so important for me that she remembers what I did? It's a power play. Because <laughs> if she just sees how much I've suffered for her, you know, then I'll have the upper hand. And that's just one silly example of a power play, right? But for many of us, this is actually, it, it's quite a serious pain point in our lives. This power play between you and your spouse has become the main source of stress in your life. Maybe for you, it looks more like a lack of financial transparency, financial withholding. Maybe for you, it looks like asset hoarding, Maybe it's children manipulating, where one parent rallies the kids around their narrative so that they could team up against their spouse. Been there? Maybe it's rage threats, where one spouse is always walking on thin ice. Maybe it's prolonged periods of withholding love. What are these things? They're power plays. They're techniques for spouse control so that we feel like we have some kind of security over this unbelievably beautiful but also volatile thing called marriage. And Paul opens up the Christian household code by saying, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Stop making your marriage a power play. It belongs to Christ. If you truly want a flourishing, joyful, restful, intimate relationship with your spouse, you focus on your part out of reverence for the Lord, not on theirs. Okay, so what is my part then? What is my role? What are wives and husbands called to do? Well, Paul spells it out for us here in the following verses. And again, I only have time to go over the wife's role for today, which is found in verses 22 to 24. Second point. First, everyone, submit to each other for the Lord. Second, but wives, particularly submit to your own husbands. Okay, let's move on to verse 22. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, and you know, this is the verse, right? This is the one that makes people nervous. At least it's making me nervous. I'm trying to avoid eye contact with Tati right now, okay? 
And it's understandable of why many people get nervous about this because people read this and they go, see, I knew it. You know, Christianity is all about male dominance. It's sexist, and that's why I don't like it. But hold on. Read Paul's words again here carefully. He doesn't say, woman, submit to all men. Does he? He doesn't say, wives, submit to all husbands. Does he? What's he say? He says, wives, submit to your own husband. Meaning, if there ain't no ring, it ain't no thing. (laughs) Your own husband. Women aren't called here to submit themselves to all men, like the culture back then and many cultures today would imply. No. Specifically, to your own husband. Now, okay, wives, this doesn't mean that when you come into work on Monday, you can tell your boss that he can't tell you what to do because he's not your husband. Okay, please don't do that. There are various relational dynamics within the larger society that even the Bible calls you to submit to. For example, to your parents, Exodus 20 says, or to the governing authorities, Jesus says many, many times, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? However, there is a unique sort of submission that we see in scripture here saying wives are, call, are, are to give to their own husbands, that you should not give to any other person. Now, let's address another potential fear here is that some may say, see, this is still basically sexism, right? It's still basically male dominance, just allocated within the marital relationship instead of in the larger society or public sphere. But again, no, it's not. Why not? Because look at verse 23. Look at the reason as to why the wife should submit to their husband. It's not because she feels terrorized by him. It's not because she feels inferior to him. Paul says it's because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Now, what in the world does that mean? Stick with me for a little bit. If you've been with us in the book of Ephesians for the few past months, over the past few months, then you'll know that whenever Christ is introduced in this book as the head of the church, he always has a specific role as the head of the church. What is Jesus' role as the head of the church? It's not to rule over the church with a heavy hand. It's not to force the church into submission. But every time the idea of Jesus being head of the church appears in the book of Ephesians, which happened twice already, it always refers to him caring for the church, giving to the church, which is his body. Just to convince you more, let me just talk about those two times Jesus was called head of the church in Ephesians. The first one, I put the verse up here because it's rather short, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, where Paul says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Read this verse carefully again. Why was Jesus made head over all things and over the church? He gave him as head over all things to what end? To who? To the church. Meaning, for the church, toward the benefit of the church. That's Jesus' role as head. And the second time this is mentioned is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 12. It's too long to put up here, so I'm not going to write it. But there it says that Jesus ascended and became head of the church. Why? To give gifts to the church. 
He became head in order to give to his body. Two times the concept of Jesus being head of the church is mentioned in Ephesians, and both times it refers to Jesus using his headship, using his leadership to bless the church, to give to it, to care for it, to cherish it, to grow it. So when Paul says here, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, Paul isn't saying, husbands, terrorize your wife to submission. He's not saying, husbands, coerce your wife to submission, intimidate your wife to submission, withhold love, or guilt your wife, or make her feel somewhat inferior to you so that she'll submit. None of those things. He's saying, husbands, head up your marriage in the same way that Jesus heads up the church by using every ounce of your leadership to give and cherish and bless and care for your wife as Jesus does the church. Lead your family in such a way to where your wife is convinced and secure in the fact that submission to you is actually for her benefit. That's what you need to worry about. Because let me tell you, she sees through it. You know? She does. The tiny, seemingly insignificant decisions we daily make toward our benefit, the subtle repainting of narratives toward our favor, the excuses that are like 60% valid but we portray as 100% valid. Hmm? If you know, you know. And I know you know, because I know. All of these tiny little things, all of these tiny little decisions we make as a leader, it all adds up in her heart to the grand total of either suspicion or trust. And they see it you're a lot more see-through than you think you are. Out of reverence for Christ, husbands, use every ounce of your leadership to cherish your wife to where she's convinced that submission to you is actually for her benefit. Don't focus on her submission. Worry more about becoming the kind of person that's worth submitting to. The problem is, many of us demand submission without having earned trust. And that's why, oftentimes, no one's happy in the marriage. Don't do that. Worry about being the kind of man that she can willingly submit to. Okay, now, wives, here's the delicate part of this whole thing. So far, I've been placing more of the burden on your husbands than on you. Why? Well, first of all, because Paul himself actually does it here in this passage. But two, if I'm honest, it's also much less scarier to do that. Right? They're probably not going to cancel me. Maybe they might. I don't know. But it's easier for me to just place the burden on, on the husband. However, I would not be faithful to God's word here unless I also point out the weight of burden that Paul places upon you, wives, as well. 
What burden? Well, notice that even though Paul does tell your husband to lead in the same way as Christ leads the church, although he does tell your husband to sacrificially and selflessly lead to where he's earned your trust and earned your willing submission, not coerced, not forced, in the same breath, Paul never says that your submission to your husband is contingent upon how perfectly he leads. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your own husbands only when he's being this perfect, selfless, sacrificial leader, but when he fails, forget about him. You know, he doesn't deserve it. No. Paul simply says, wives, submit to your own husbands. He even goes as far as saying in verse 24, take a look at it. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. And it's like, what in the world? (laughs) What a scary sentence. How are you gonna dig yourself out of this one, Paul? What do you mean? What if my husband's in the wrong? What if he's in sin? You know, am I still supposed to submit to him? Well, of, of course not. Okay, so which one is it, Paul? You seem to be saying two contradictory things here. On one hand, you're saying, husbands, earn your wife's trust through sacrificial leadership, through selfless leadership. But on the other hand, you're saying, wives, submit to your own husbands, regardless of whether or not he's sacrificial. Which one is it? Let's go to our last point. First, everyone submit to each other for the Lord. Two, wives, particularly submit to your own husbands. Three, just as the church submits to Christ. Okay, so let's start this discussion this way. Here's the question that we all have to answer. When Paul says in verse 24, wives, obey your own husbands in the same way you obey Christ, is he referring to the extent of your obedience, okay, as in, you know, because you do whatever Jesus tells you, you should also do whatever your husband tells you. Is that what he's talking about? The extent of your obedience? Or is he referring to the motivation of your obedience? As in, you should have the same reason and motivation behind your submission to Christ as to your husband. And I think it's rather obvious, both from scripture and also from common sense, that Paul is obviously not referring here to the extent of your obedience, okay? Paul is not saying that just like you obey Jesus at all times, you also gotta obey your husband at all times. No, why not? Because the Bible says you shouldn't. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? Remember what happened? Ananias, the husband, performed financial fraud to the gospel community that he was in, and he was punished by God for it. And then Sapphira, remember, the wife came around not knowing what's happened to the husband. She followed in his footsteps. She committed the same fraud, told the same lie. Then what happened? What did God do? Punish her too. She followed in her husband's sinful footsteps and God was not happy about it. Even the Bible says you shouldn't follow your husband when he's clearly in the wrong or in sin. First. But second, I also think that's just common sense, right? (laughs) Your husband's not Jesus. You know, submit to him as to the Lord, not because he is the Lord, okay? So Paul here is obviously not referring to the extent of obedience, but rather the motivation for your obedience. 
The motivation of your submission to Jesus, wives, should be analogous to why you submit to your husband. So, well, let me ask you, why do you submit to Jesus? Not, not just wives. Let's open this up to every Christian here. Why do we submit to what Jesus tells us to do in the scriptures? Is it because we're trying to get something out of him? Like he's some kind of ATM, you know? Is it transactionally based? No, it's not. Is it fear-based? You know, if I don't do this, he'll punish me. There'll be consequences. It's not. Or eternal consequences, rather. It's not. Is it, is it contractually based? You know, like, I'm already in this, so I guess I gotta submit. You know, it's on the contract. Is that why we submit to Jesus? It's not. The Christian doesn't obey Jesus motivated by transaction or fear of punishment or mere contractual responsibility. Why do you obey Jesus, Christian? Why do you submit to him? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter three. He said this, this is why I obey Jesus. This is why I, why I bow my knee to Jesus. It's because I've comprehended the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ that is beyond understanding. What's he talking about here? The cross, when Jesus died and paid for your sins. We don't obey Jesus to get something out of him, Paul's saying. We obey Jesus because he's given us everything already on the cross. We don't obey Jesus because we're afraid of being eternally punished. We obey Jesus because he's already taken the full punishment that we actually deserve upon himself on the cross. We don't obey Jesus just because it's in the contract. We obey him because we have a deep sense of unexplainable delight that you never felt before you were born again. When you saw that cross and your heart said, I'd be willing to sell everything for this guy because he's my treasure. That's why you obey Jesus. Wives, obey your husband with the same motivation Paul's saying here. Not just to get something out of him, not just to avoid certain consequences, not just because you have to, you know. Do it because he's your treasure. But here's the delicate part that I must say I meant earlier. Wives, what if your husband isn't behaving in a way worth treasuring? What if there's so many immaturities within him? What if he still prioritizes himself over you in the decisions that he makes? What if he still struggles with the power play game? What if he's not the kind of man who's won your trust and willing submission? What does submission to him look like here in this situation? Because you're still called to do it. Well, this is a longer conversation and there's nuances here that I wanna make sure gets communicated. I don't have time to do it here, but we'd love to talk to you in your personal situation, maybe after this if, if you want. But we can agree that it definitely edits the application quite a bit here, right? Because it's hard to joyfully obey him as your treasure in this case. But with the time that we have now, here's what I think the, the closest answer is to what submission here looks like. 
Submission here looks like helping him get there without power plays. Submission here looks like helping him get there without power plays. Do what you can to aid him in his journey toward becoming the kind of selfish leader Christ calls him to be who is wholly abandoned for his bride, but do so without the power plays that Paul warned us against here in this passage. Oh, okay, Tez, that's, that's what you want me to do? That's great. Let me just ask you one question. Have you met my husband? Like, like do you know him? You know, that thick-headed little beast? Stubborn beyond belief. Changing him without power plays? Yeah, when hell freezes over. You know how hard and tiring and headache-inducing that'd be for me? And honestly, at times, I don't even know if he's worth it. Am I allowed to say here that I get it? Because <laughs> I do. I do. But it's not because I know how much you've endured your husband. I get it because I know how much my wife has endured me. Let me tell you, there are many days in my relationship with Tati where I'm being a thick-headed little beast, where I'm being stubborn beyond all get-go, immature, difficult, hard-headed, selfish, manipulative, shameful even, really, in the things that I do and say. Not, not just putting it in here for a preaching technique thing to do. Really, really. And I try my best to repent and change and grow in Christ-likeness. But in those days when I fail, in those days when my behavior makes it hard for Tati to joyfully submit to me as her treasure, in those days when I've made myself an undeserving recipient of her love, do you know where my only hope lies in? In the fact that hopefully Tati's reverence and love for Christ is greater than my immaturities. I pray that Tati's love and reverence for Christ will give her the strength to endure and forgive and continue to walk with me as I slowly grow into becoming the kind of leader that this marriage needs me to be and that Christ calls me to be. That's all I can bank on. And I can't demand that from her. She doesn't owe me that. Paul said that's between her and her Jesus. All I can do is hope and pray that her reverence for Christ will result in mercy and patience for me as I slowly become the kind of man that she can look at and say, I trust him because he leads in such a way that reminds me of my Jesus upon that cross. Can your wife say that about you? Wives, I can't tell you to extend this kind of mercy to your husband, nor can your husband demand that from you. Why not, Tez, husbands, you may ask? Because that's the nature of what mercy is, isn't it? 
You can't demand it. It's got to be freely given, or else it's not mercy, it's salary. Wives, may you extend that mercy that you felt from Jesus on the cross to him, so that out of reverence for him, you may all patiently build us up, husbands, to becoming the kind of person that Jesus wants us to be, the kind of person that you can treasure and willingly submit to. Let's pray. Father, how far do every single one of us fall short when we compare our actual marriages, what happens in the closed doors of our homes and rooms, the words that are said there, if there's a fly on the wall, what it would say. But yet, you've given us these instructions nonetheless, covered and enveloped by the gospel of Christ. Help us all, Father, your wayward children, your wayward sons and daughters, continue out of reverence for you, our best to apply this gospel message to our spouse in the way that we live and treat them and display the love and the dynamic that church, the head of the, uh, Jesus, the head of the church has for his people. Be with us, Father, in this seemingly impossible task. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.